God so loved the world that he gave his son. Whosoever believes. Check, 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 mic check. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. Check, check, check. Hey, good morning, everyone. As you always know, I like to start with a custom of standing up and greeting one another, and then I'll get our song started. Please feel free to stand up and say hello to someone you haven't spoken to yet this morning.
I too, as Michael, want to welcome each one of you. We're so glad that you are here. And visitors, I see several, and we're thankful for y'all being here and just hope you will come back at any time you can. I want to start out with a, with a personal note, and uh, maybe I can tie it all together. Fifty-six years ago, I was uh, 16, and uh, I had a date with the prettiest girl in West Texas. <laughs> Pretty exciting. Well, I want to report that uh, 52 years ago yesterday, she said, I do, and I am very thankful. I am very thankful. Being accepting. Some people have a harder job than others. Certainly Margie did, accepting. But how about our church? Is West Irving an accepting church? Are we welcoming? I think we are. I think we're a very welcoming church. We have a new community that was being built beside us. There will be over 100 units. My understanding, there's 112. Our plans are to invite every household there to church and their children to share in our church family, in our new youth facilities. And even though they may not currently have the same understanding of the gospel that we do, I believe we can be loving and patient and teach the children and perhaps the parents concerning our understandings. I think this can be a field white for harvest and given to us by God as a new mission put in our own backyard. Also, West Irwin is expanding our role in the Smith County Jail work for the Churches of Christ in Tyler, Texas. Inmates will be receiving visits and correspondence lessons teaching them about Jesus and our plan of, his plan of salvation. We have currently contacted approximately 100 inmates since the rest of the restrictions have been lifted. When they are released, if they're released in Tyler, they will be invited to the Benevolent Center for, for food, hot meals, clothes. But also we're going to encourage them to attend our Benevolence worship service. Many, many of them have never heard the eternal savings story of Jesus except for by our workers. Are these opportunities the Lord has provided for us to expand his kingdom? I hope they are, and I hope you'll prayerfully consider that. For Paul told Titus, but when the time came for the kindness of the love of God, our Savior, to appear, then he saved us. Not because we were good enough, to be saved, but because of his kindness and pity. By washing away our sins and giving us the new joy of the indwelling Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us with wonderful fullness. And all because of what Jesus Christ our Savior did. And he could declare us good in God's eyes. All because of his great kindness. And now we can share in the wealth of the eternal life he gives us. And we are eagerly looking forward to receiving it. These things I have told you are true. Insist on them so that Christians will be careful to do good deeds 
all the time. For this is not only right, it brings good results. I pray for a bountiful harvest for this church to grow, and I pray it all. Glory goes to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we're just so thankful for this large day. Uh, a day of worship and remembrance and celebration of the perfect gift. A perfect gift that was given to a sinful people. Father, we, we please, please bless our work in spreading the gospel message to our neighbors, our friends and family, and, and to the far reaches of the world. Today we are closer to eternity, so let us tirelessly work to expand your kingdom. Bless our local outreach in the downtown area of Tyler from our new community neighbors to those that are behind bars and need to hear your plan of salvation. We pray for growth. We pray for success at West Irwin. And we pray it's all for the glory to be yours and yours alone. At this time, it is our custom we pray for the needs of this church, the sick, the hurting, the scared, the lonely, and those that are facing despair without clear answers. The only answer is given is going to be given to God by faith and then rest your assurances on his eternal promises. Father, we have some in our church that we want you to, uh, to remember. We know that you already have. We want to pray for losses that from the Cliney families and their loss of Pat and Tony. We want to pray for the John Fuller family and their loss. And Father, we have others that are hurting and sick. And um, Father, you know their needs, but we want to bring them to your attention. Charles Starr and Joyce Ferrara, Lily Beth and the Collier family, Norma and Ira Phil and Sue Skipper. We remember Tommy Price and Dot and the Rouse family. And Father, we're thinking of Fred and the Cobb family. And we also want to remember Debbie Phillips and also Debbie Jones and their struggles. We remember Evelyn and Ruby. And Father, we were told that Marcus Turner was having some heart conditions and had to have stents in, in the hospital. So Father, we just pray that you'll be with him and that uh, this will be what he needs and he will be back to his health soon. Father, we uh, are so thankful. We're so thankful for prayer and so thankful for the things that we can bring to you and and find peace. For Father, we turn our eyes of our heart to a place of peace and love. A place without pain or tears, a place of light with no doubts. A place that has no time but just celebration and praise. A place of eternal joy, and it is our eternal home. And we thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.
Good morning. This is a great time of the year because we have Mother's Day. Uh, next week we have Father's Day. Uh, my family's been battling some illnesses, so we were gone for Memorial Day, but that's one of my favorite uh, uh, days that we remember. And it's one of my favorite because it's such a clean cut. It's, it's, almost, it's about the purest example, one of the most, most purest examples we have that points towards the cross when you uh, remember people who died for others that they didn't, may not even know. And so that's pretty much a pure uh, picture of sacrifice. So it's very meaningful. So today, as luck would have it, um, I was asked to speak about uh, the communion. So I wanted to talk about something that happened uh, while we were kind of uh, in, after Memorial Day and while we were dealing with this sickness. Uh, I was adopted at birth. And a week or so ago, uh, my biological mother was able to come down from Nebraska. And she stayed a couple of days, and and her and her husband visited with our family. And um, that ties back in Memorial Day because her father was in the Air Force. And uh, she was 14 years old. When, and she was at church one Sunday morning. And she came home. She had been, uh, went to church with some friends. And she came home and her mother was in her bedroom with the door closed and she was crying. She knew something was wrong and she asked her younger brothers and they couldn't really explain it. But what had happened was that very morning her dad had died in an airplane crash. And if you've ever been between Lincoln and Omaha, there's a historical marker about halfway right by the river that uh, commemorates that crash. She's 14 years old, and about two years ago, when I first tracked her down and found her, Miranda and I flew up there to Omaha. That's how I know about that marker, because we stayed in Omaha and we drove to Lincoln where she lived, so I saw it. I already knew it was there beforehand, but uh, it was very meaningful for me to passed by that. But uh, anyway, I got to talk to her on that visit about that experience. And she said that uh, you know, her, mom, her mom had a lot of problems. And her dad was the rock of the family. And she couldn't understand. She... she, she just a second. <clears throat> She said she couldn't understand why God would take the best person in her life and leave her in that situation. And she was 14. A few years later, uh, things were going kind of rough, and uh, I was conceived, and I was given up for adoption. So she carried me for nine months and she got to spend three days caring for me and holding me. Then she had to give me up. And that was actually a really good thing for me because I was adopted by a wonderful family who took great care of me and brought me to this point where I am here today. So I 
fully believe that that was God's will. But <clears throat> when she came to visit this last week, um, when it got time to, for her and her husband to go back to Nebraska, it came in for a hug. And this is what I wanted to talk about today, that hug. Think back in your life. Maybe You've probably had some pretty meaningful hugs in your life. I don't know about you, but I've, I've never had a hug like that. Where the minute she started to hug me, it was, I could feel her thinking, I don't ever want to let go, but I know I'm going to have to. So I'm going to hug and get the most out of this hug for the time that I have this hug. And it was, it was intense. And I, I was humbled. Humbled by that feeling because I couldn't, I didn't, I mean, there was, I, I have some feeling towards her, but it's different for her than it was for me. She had waited about 50 years to be able to hug me from that third day that she last got to hug me. It's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of grief, a lot of regret, a lot of waiting, a lot of wondering if she'd ever get another chance to, to give me a hug. And so in that moment, I was, I was very humbled. Um, it was a wonderful experience. And then they left. And so... As I said, I have been—I was adopted at birth, but that's not the only adoption. I've been adopted twice in my life. The other time that I was adopted was when I was adopted as an heir of the Most High God. And you and I are all in that family together. We've all been adopted together. And that's even more meaningful. And so I wanted to read... Uh, John chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. This is where Jesus is promising us the Holy Spirit. As Galen talked about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in his, in his message. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Now, you may have a, some, somebody may be skeptical about that and say, well, that's... That sounds great, but 
God is distant. Jesus is, I can't see him. I can't hug him. But you're wrong. And I'm going to explain why. I've been a member of this church for a long time. I've struggled. Personally, I've had struggles in 2012. I was on this very, at this very microphone confessing my sins. I had a DWI. And it was a, it was a bad time for me. And I came in that morning feeling so defeated and so low. Uh, but after I confessed and I walked down the steps, I can't tell you how many people put their arms around me and hugged me. And it was a different hug than the one I got from my biological mother. But I can tell you, those hugs were meaningful in a different way. And you know what? Jesus was living in the hearts of those people that wrapped their arms around me and hugged me that day. And if you don't know Jesus and you've never felt a hug like that, you've never felt someone wrap their arms around you and love you as a family member like that in that kind of a moment, today is your day. Today's the day that you can put on Christ in baptism and you can become a part of this family. And you can experience a love that's true and strong and unconditional, not because of the frail human arms that are wrapped around you giving you that hug, but because Jesus and the Holy Spirit are living in them. We have that opportunity. And we have the opportunity now to remember Jesus and thank him for what he's done for us. Would you bow with me, please? Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. We know that you lived as one of us and endured a lot of suffering, pain, and frustration for us so that you could die and earn the right to give us the free gift of salvation. We thank you for what you did for us. We thank you for your body that hung on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's bow our heads one more time. Dear Heavenly Father, we know that it was the blood of Jesus that he freely gave for us that washes away our sins, that changes us, that cleanses us so that we are able to have the relationship with you. And that relationship should change us, and it does change us, and we ask for you to continually wash us with your blood so that we can go out in the world and establish the same relationships with others that you establish with us through your power. We thank you for Jesus' blood. and In his name we pray, amen.
Well, Bill asked me to say a couple of things about the Young at Heart group. I think that Jim Boyd is much more able to do that than I am. Jim's been our president for several years, and with Helen's help, has uh, did a great job. We appreciate what y'all did with us on that. But our Young at Heart group, <clears throat> I hope all of you are young at heart as far as that goes. Uh, we get together once a month, 12 times a year. Four of those nights are considered area-wide nights, which uh, churches in Tyler, let's see, there's North Tenaw, Shallow Road, Glenwood, and West Irwin, where we have a get-together. The last one we had in at West Irwin, we had right at 300 people from various areas in the community. So it's, it's, there's a lot to it and we enjoy being a part of it. Uh, I told Bill, we, we kind of go by the three F's. He said, that sounds like his report card. But, <laughs> but what we talk about is food, which we've got some great cooks in this congregation fun and fellowship and it's always a great time to get together our meetings don't last long some people say they may be too long but we're usually there an hour and a half to two hours at the most uh, each family brings a dish we have a meal and then we have some kind of entertainment and enjoy our fellowship uh, one thing I want to make I've got to get my glasses out so I can read it but uh, uh, out of those other eight nights that we're together in December we have a Christmas party everybody brings a gift it can be well we say no more than ten dollars be a gift card or something like that or it can be something your grandmother left you that you hate but you hate to throw away <laughs> you can wrap it up as a gag gift and bring that and everybody's there, we draw a number. And uh, I think last, well, one last year, the last meeting we had the year before last, I guess it was, COVID, I can't keep up with it. I'm way behind. But we had 44 or 45 people there, if I remember right. Everybody draws a number. When your number's called, you go pick a gift, and then the fun begins. If you don't like what you have, you get to swap with somebody that's already picked one. And that's a very entertaining night anyway, to say the least. Uh, but uh, we also have uh, a game night, for example. And then we have entertainment. Uh, we've got some, quite a bit of good entertainment in East Texas. But right here in the church, one of the... Uh, Groups. Eric Mosley and his father have will play and sing for us one night. Uh, Stan Clark did for one night. I always liked Stan's when he sang that uh, uh, I'm a Highway Patrol. You know, he was on the highway, but there's a song about that. That was always interesting. Uh, not to say I didn't like your songs, Eric, but they were good too. Uh, and we have East Texas other groups. Uh, 
Michael is a member of the East Texas Men in Harmony, and we've had some quartets from them come out and sing, and they do a great job. We've had some groups from Tyler Junior College come out to sing. We had a little girl from Chandler who came over and sang for us. She had a great voice. She was only 13 years old the first time she came. So there's a lot of entertainment, a lot of fun to that. And uh, like I said, that's only eight times a year that we're in the one group together. Uh, two or three times a year, our group tries to take a bus trip. We've been to uh, Carthage, to the East Tex uh, Texas Country Music Hall of Fame. And uh, we've been to both Bush libraries, one in Dallas and one in College Station. Uh, we came back from College Station after that Thursday trip. And Sunday morning, I was walking in, and Wade was in, asked me, how was your trip? And I said, oh, it's great. But I wanted to tell you we're planning a bus trip to Simi Valley, California, to the Reagan Memorial. And I was curious as what he was going to say, but he said, well, that's good. You put some miles on the bus and walked off. <laughs> I couldn't say anything after that. But we're not really planning that but anyway. But my point in that is that the elders support the young at heart, what we try to do, and our get-togethers, and we appreciate that very much. Uh, we've also been to... Uh, Dallas to the Holocaust Museum. We went to the New London School explosion. You know, happened back in the 30s. There was a lot of people killed and a lot of children. And uh, one of the things that stuck with me in that museum, one of the worst men of the 20th century sent a Western Union telegram to that school over there expressing his condolences. And they have that wire telegram up there on the wall. It was from Adolf Hitler. I would have never thought that, but that's the way it goes. But we learn a lot of things. I guess that's what I was going to say that for. We have a trip planned this coming week, Thursday, to uh, we're going over toward Keto Lake, and we're going to stop. Oh, by the way, in each one of these bus trips, of course, we stop somewhere good to eat. So this group is always good about eating. And uh, we're going to stop Catfish Place over there, and then we're going to take a little tour of Caddo Lake with a guide. And that's interesting. That'll be this Thursday. We leave here about 9 o'clock. But we still have a few seats if you're interested. We'd be glad to have you. And if you have any questions about any of this, you can talk to me. And if I don't know it, I'll ask Jim, and he'll tell us. Or you can talk to Jim. But we need some more people to join. You know, we... Some like uh, there's some of getting a little older and hard to do various things, but we still enjoy it. We appreciate anybody else who wants to join. Thank you. And as everyone knows, our protocols have changed a little bit on how we handle uh, communion and. and Lord's Supper and then the giving. So uh, thank you, Myron, for that information about the young at heart. Um, and now we will have the opportunity to give, although most of you know uh, you can do that online now. We don't pass the, the
the trays. There's a box in the foyer where you can drop your check if you want to do paper check. But uh, go back to what I read uh, just a minute ago. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So we're commanded to gather and worship. We're commanded to sing. We're commanded to uh, love one another. And that's like what Myron was talking about. That's part of that, fellowshipping. But we're also commanded to give so that that uh, helps all these things happen. And so now at this time, let's go to God and thank you for what he's given us as we remember what we've given back to him. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the blessings of this life. We thank you for um, our health, our our town, our church, our uh, all the blessings that you've given us. We ask that you continue to bless us, and we ask that you uh, help us to make the most of the blessings you give us and to use those blessings to glorify you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. know much about our West Irwin Church of Christ other than what you've seen today, you know that we're all about relationships. Our wonderful, incredible Young at Heart group, our terrific children's program and ministry, our Bible classes, our wonderful youth group as we continue to keep our youth minister search process in our prayers and the committee, the candidates that are working with that, and our young people. All of those that participate in so many various ways that are a part of this congregation. And as we began last uh, Sunday, we've been, we're going to be looking on Sunday mornings during the sermon time at the way Jesus handled relationships with people while he was a human being here on this earth. Very powerful story and sharing that our brother Chris Condor shared around the table was so appropriate and so much a wonderful look into what the church should be. You know, the closest relationships that Jesus had with anyone on this earth were with his 12 apostles. You might say, well, wait a minute, Bill, what about his earthly blood family? And we're going to talk about that next week on Father's Day. 
But when you compare the relationship that Jesus had with them and the relationship that Jesus had with his closest disciples, the 12 apostles that he lived with, literally 24-7 during those few years, then we realize that those were the people, those 12 men were the ones he was closest to, more so than anyone else in his earthly ministry. And so I want us to take a look at that special relationship that Jesus had with the 12 apostles today. And we begin with their calling. Uh, Jesus called them one by one, or as our kids say, Jesus called them one by one, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And that's as far as I will go. Um, Well, I could probably do the rest, but uh, hopefully you can do the rest as well. And it's one of those things that we forget the powerful moments that were involved with these men and how critical it was when Jesus called them and how selective he was when Jesus called them. We get a little bit of a look at that in Luke chapter 6 and what went into that beginning at verse 12. One of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Special designation, those sent with a special message, a special sending, a special calling. And then they're listed, verse 14, Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who is called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. What a group. (laughs) What a group. Some fishermen, uh, some very open and loud individuals, some that we don't know much about, so we're likely quieter when the group got together. You have individuals like Matthew, who was a tax collector, a publican, seen as a sympathizer uh, with the Romans. And you have a man, Simon, who is called a zealot. <laughs> and that group was, one of, was a sect of the Jews who were saying, hey, let's, let's, let's get back to that Maccabean revolution kind of thing. Let's, let's overthrow these, these, uh, these oppressors and have our independence again in the same group. And Luke makes a special point to tell us that Jesus spent the night praying about this before he did it. The son of God prayed for this moment because he knew, he knew how significant what he was about to do would be for the church of all time until he returns the second time. You've heard me say that the most critical commandment that calls us to pray are those two simple words, Jesus prayed. And if the Son of God prayed, and here the Son of God prayed all night before making this momentous decision, how can we not pray? Other passages of Scripture speak about this. Of course, Judas Iscariot denies the Lord. 
uh, takes his own life, and then in Acts chapter 1 is replaced by Matthias, who was also there with him from the beginning, who had also seen the resurrected Jesus. And yet there was so much more that went into this. If you're watching online, hopefully you can access the sermon outline here in our bulletins. It's there, and there are lots of scripture passages that tell us about that. For example, Luke chapter 5. When Jesus is first interacting with some of these disciples and, and it's that incident where they've, they've been fishing a long time and nothing has been uh, caught and, and Jesus tells them to cast the net out and they do so anyway after he had been teaching them for a while. And they, rate, they, they catch so many fish and then Peter goes to Jesus and he throws himself at Jesus and he says, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. Simon Peter. The special calling that that we see Jesus interacting with some of those early disciples is there in those passages in John 1 and Matthew 4 and Matthew 9, the story of calling Levi, Matthew, the tax collector. Several of the disciples, the apostles, had a couple of different names, and so the list may be a little bit different. Nathaniel was also known as Bartholomew. Remember, he's the one that said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Whoops, <laughs> don't think he, reg- he regretted saying that a little bit. Of course he did. Matthew, also known as Levi. James, son of Alphaeus, also called James the Less. Perhaps because James and John, the sons of Zebedee, uh, probably, and as we'll see in just a moment, certainly were closest to Jesus than some of the others, including this James. Later on, that would designate him uh, from that would differentiate him from James, the brother of the Lord. Thaddeus was also known as Judas, son of James, and again to designate to differentiate him from Judas Iscariot. And later in this series, we'll talk about Jesus and his relationship with the other apostle, the apostle Paul. But today we're focusing on his relationship with these twelve men, these twelve apostles. Jesus called them one by one, and he told them to follow him as we have sung today. And so the next question is one that you might not expect, and that is, did Jesus play favorites? And before you say no, of course he didn't, that may not be completely accurate. We can say from the beginning that he played favorites because he only selected 12 apostles. Again, he was very selective about that, prayed a lot about it, and then chose 12 out of all of his disciples that were following him because he had a special mission for them. And so he called on them. But in a sense, there was another subset within those 12. And if you watch This Is Us, then we could call it the big three, (laughs) like the children from that series, or the three musketeers, or... And more in line with Bill's entertainment um, value, the three amigos. <laughs> but Jesus had three out of those 12 that were special. Peter, James, and John. Why do you say that, Bill? Well, there are a few scripture passages listed there. Luke 8, Luke 9, and Mark 14. But you remember the story of Jesus raising the daughter of Jairus, synagogue leader, from the dead. You remember how Jesus went 
and was interrupted along the way by that woman who had a bleeding disorder and he healed her, took the time to heal her. In the process, Jairus' daughter dies and Jesus says, don't worry, just believe. Let's keep going. But when he gets there, he goes inside to heal that girl and he takes only with him the parents and Peter, James, and John. Everyone else waits outside. We also see him taking Peter, James, and John up on the Mount of Transfiguration when he was transfigured before them. And Moses and Elijah stood there. It was only Peter, James, and John who witnessed that. And then in Mark 14, as we know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus takes his disciples in, asks them to pray for him. But then he takes three disciples, three apostles, a little bit further, deeper into the garden. Peter, James, and John. Well, did Jesus play favorites? Well, I think we can say he was selective. There were those three experienced some of those special times that the others did not. Doesn't mean they were more faithful. Doesn't mean they were more righteous. Doesn't mean they were better. It just means that those three experienced some things with Jesus that no one else did. And as we think of those three and we look at those passages that are listed on the outline, we realize that there were some things that they did that were incredible from there. Peter and John, the first two who were arrested in the book of Acts in chapters 3 and 4. And then, of course, all the apostles arrested and and persecuted, actually beaten and flogged for the first time in chapter 5. In chapter 10, it's Peter who is there with the first Gentile convert in his family. And in chapter 12, it is James, the brother of John, who is the first apostle killed for the faith. And that incredible revelation that happens on that Isle of Patmos while he is on exile is revealed only to the Apostle John. Of course, they write so much of the scripture as well. And so you have Peter, James, and John, but then you ask, well, what about those three? Did Jesus play favorites between those three? Well, you would think no. However, you look at those passages in John 13 and John 19 and John 21, and there's one person in all of Scripture, one apostle who is described as the apostle whom Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And that's the apostle John. Now, granted, it's John who is describing himself that way. But remember, John was the last of the Gospels written, perhaps one of the last of the books of the Bible written, And for him to be so bold as to say that, it's obviously an act of humility. He didn't even want to use his own name. So he used that description of how he was known. The disciple whom Jesus loved. In John 13, when Jesus is meeting with these apostles at the Last Supper, and he tells them, one of them is going to betray me, Peter sees John up there close to Jesus, and he kind of nudges him and says, find out who, find out who. In John 19, he's at the cross, and Jesus sees the disciple whom he loved and his mother. He says, you take care of each other. You take care of her, John. In chapter 21, after the resurrection, we see Jesus a couple of times interacting with that disciple whom Jesus loved. Well, if the question is about favoritism, you could expand it again to ask if Jesus played favorites by singling out the 12, not just the three or the one. But I believe it is more of an indication of Jesus' leadership style and of his plan to evangelize the world. And I got to tell you that this is something that's been a struggle for me and for all ministers. 
because we want to be friends with everybody in church, and everybody in church wants to be friends with us, and I love that. I love that. Joyce and I have always thankfully been able to interact with people of all ages and have been accepted by them. What a blessing. But then you have to ask yourself, well, Bill, how hard is it for you to be especially close to maybe a few or maybe even one best friend? And that's hard. It's a balancing act, I can tell you. And you do that without uh, seeming to play favorites. You do that without destroying relationships with anybody else. But we all need those close relationships. We need to find that balance. And do we have that in the church today? Do we have those close friends? Not just in life, but in the church. People who will be there for us when we're struggling. People that we would run to when they're struggling. We see that in all of these groups, the youth group, the young families, the young at heart, all of those involved in Bible classes and every other aspect. We want that. We want that for everyone. We want that for everyone that's a member of this church. We want that for our new neighbors that are coming. Where is that, Galen? There, there, that. Okay, there. We want that for them. We want that for each other, and we need that. We need that closeness. And so lastly, Jesus discipled the 12 apostles. He discipled them. That that term just means he helped them learn. (laughs) He taught them. A disciple is a learner, literally. And we're all learners. We're all followers of Jesus. We're all disciples. We've talked about that term in sermons before, especially as we worked through the book of Acts a while back. And in Matthew 16 and Mark chapter 10, Jesus disciples these disciples, asking them, who do people say that I am? And they interact a little bit. And then Jesus tells them, here's what it means to be the son of God. Here's what it means to be the savior. Here's what it means to be the Messiah. Trying to prepare them as best he could for what's going on. And it seems that time and time and time again, during those few years, Jesus would bring his apostles aside and he would tell them, look, love the crowds, but the son of man is gonna be betrayed and I'm gonna be forsaken. And I will be turned over to the authorities and, and they'll, they'll raise false charges against me and I'll be convicted and I'll be sentenced to death and I'll be crucified, but I'll be raised again. And they never understood that. So much so that when it happened, they were surprised. And yet he had told them so many times. Even after his resurrection, Jesus is still discipling them. In John 21, he has that interaction with Peter. Do you love me? then keep my commandments. Don't give up, Peter. I realize that your faith has been destroyed, that the man who was always the first to speak out is now quiet and wondering if he needs to go back to fishing. Don't do it. Don't do it. Really all of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the story of Jesus discipling these 12 men getting the word out to everyone else. It's an old preacher's story about Jesus after he returns to heaven and he's there after the crucifixion and the resurrection and now he's ascended and he's talking with the angels and they're kind of surprised because there he is and, and there's so many lost people still on the world and they said, why, why did you come back already? And he says, well, I have a plan. 
And they said, great, what's your plan to evangelize the world? And he says, well, I'm gonna leave some men in charge down there and they're gonna get the message out and they're gonna spread it to the whole world. And the angels say, really? That's your plan? Yeah, that's my plan. Well, what if the plan doesn't work? And Jesus says, I have no other plan. That's my plan for disciples to make disciples, starting with my apostles. Historical tradition tells us that all of the apostles except Judas, who betrayed him, of course, were killed for their faith. John died at an older age, of course, but it was while he was in exile for his faith. 2,000 years after Jesus chose and called these men, the church that Jesus established through these apostles is still thriving. And so I'd say his plan worked and his plan is working still. His plan is working through you and me. So as we close today, when Jesus called his apostles, he told them very simply, follow me, follow me. And again, we've sung that in all of these songs, follow me. Jesus calls us, his disciples today, to do the same to follow him, wherever that might lead. In Luke chapter nine, again, that passage of scripture that talks about how Jesus was there and how, what it means to be the Messiah. And and he says this in, in Luke chapter nine, beginning at verse 22. We'll start at verse 23. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Following him is not easy. He never said it would be easy. He simply said he would be with us and he called us to do that. Today, Jesus still has no other plan. He calls each of us saying, follow me. He has no other plan than for us, his disciples, to make disciples. I have decided to follow Jesus. Anywhere with Jesus, I can safely go. Anywhere with Jesus will be home sweet home. We will follow the steps of Jesus wherever they go. My cross, I'll carry till I see Jesus. We can help you become a disciple, a follower of Jesus of Christ, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Come as we stand and sing this great song of decision.
As we depart this morning, I want to read something before I pray. It's called Soldier. It's sung by a country singer, and it's about the soldiers that defend this country. But God put it on my heart because it reminded me of Christ. Craig Morgan sings it. Gavin DeGraw wrote it. Where do all the people go? They've got to be scared when the lights get low. I'll get you through it nice and slow when the world's spinning out of control. Afraid of what they may lose, might get scraped or they might get bruised. You can try, but what's the use? That's why it's called the moment of truth. My aim is so true, I want to show you. I'll try forever, I'll never, I may never say surrender. I'll get you what you need, I'll search when you cannot see it. You're thirsty, I'll be your rain. When you're hurt, I'll take your pain. I know you don't believe it, but I said it, and I still mean it. When you heard what I had to tell you, when you get worried, I'll be your soldier. I'll be your soldier. As we depart, think about those words, because Christ and the Holy Spirit is there for each and every one of us. We bow. Father, we're so grateful for this time that we've spent together learning another portion of your word brought to you by Bill, brought to us by Bill, and helping us to understand what Christ went through and deserved, and we are so undeserving of his love. We just ask for those on the prayer and care list that you will bring them back to a measure of hell so they can return to us. We pray for this great nation, those that defend it, those that govern it, that they may turn back to the Bible and use your word to govern this great nation. We're thankful for the elders of the church that guide it and then continue down the path of prosperity and teaching the word and bring it to those who know not. We're thankful most of all for your son who died on that cross for our sins. None of us will ever be worthy, but it was a price that was freely given to us. Once again, we're thankful for your son. All this we ask in Christ's name. Amen.